the CDC approval of the most recent bivalent or the Omicron booster this fall, the debate over boosters actually intensifies. On this episode, we'll discuss the rationale behind the booster vaccine and examine all sides of this debate. Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality at Vizient, and joining me again for a repeat appearance is Dr. Azra Baleen. Azra, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me back, Tom. So remind us a little bit about your background and what you do at Vizient. Yes, I'm the Associate Vice President here for Pharmacy Sourcing and Program Services, and I also lead all of the COVID-19 vaccine efforts for the Vizient organization. So let's dive right into it. What exactly is being offered now that the CDC is offering this bivalent or this BA or Omicron variant-based vaccine? What exactly do we mean by that? So the bivalent boosters that are now available, they're available both for Pfizer and Moderna. And what makes these boosters different than shots that patients may have received before is that it contains equal amounts of the original COVID strain, along with the Omicron subvariant BA4 or BA5. And that's different than what the previous vaccine formulations were that were designed only around the original strain of the coronavirus. Now, it's important to note that these studies or the studies that occurred wasn't exactly with humans. It was used with lab mice? That is correct. The FDA for a long time has been looking at ways to speed up bringing products to market without compromising safety. And with the mRNA technology, we know that the manufacturing turnaround time is shorter but we still were looking for opportunities to accelerate how we look at safety and efficacy. And given the potential for coronavirus to continue impacting patients' lives and it potentially having serious effects on patients, that is something that the FDA really wanted to work with as it related to the coronavirus vaccine. And so this is the first time that they're actually looking at this. This is the first time that they're actually saying, okay, let's go ahead and look at this data. And do we have enough here to make a reasonable and intelligent conclusion about the safety and efficacy of this? So let's talk about in reference to the opportunity of getting this vaccine versus the native vaccine. If I understand the literature correctly, the immune response to the bivalent vaccine wasn't all that much different than actually getting the native vaccine. Am I correct in that assumption? Yes, you actually are correct. So what we're trying to accomplish here is we know that the coronavirus has gone through lots of different mutations, right? And I think many folks out there may still be struggling to keep up with all of the new names and the subvariants that we talk about. But what comes along with those mutations is the virus is trying to figure out different ways to evade immunity, whether that immunity is coming from a previous infection that you had, or whether that immunity is coming from being vaccinated. And as this virus is continuing to have these mutations, it is becoming more difficult for the immune system to continue fighting it off. So one of the goals with these boosters is how can we design a vaccine that will stay one, two, three steps ahead of where the coronavirus mutations are? And so the original coronavirus vaccine is designed around the structure of the actual spike protein. And these new boosters are going at it in the same way. They're looking at still the structure of that spike protein, but now they're just taking into consideration those new mutations. 
So even though the new boosters are a bivalent vaccine and contain 50% of the old regular coronavirus strain and 50% of the new Omicron subvariant, the reason why it's not looking as if there's a big difference is because the immune system within the human body is still recognizing it as very similar to each other. That makes a lot of sense to me. So what I've been doing with my patients is if they are getting boosted, meaning that after the original two shots and then they're getting a third or even a fourth booster, I've been suggesting that they switch from one MRA vaccine to the other, simply because there has been some data that suggests that that may even boost things further. Any thoughts about that if, in my case, I've been only using Pfizer, that I should probably consider using the bivalent Moderna if I choose to get boosted? Yeah, I mean, there is some data out there to support that potentially for patients who have that combination that they are able to get a bigger effect. And again, this goes back to, well, what is the goal? The goal with any vaccine is really to prime our immune system such that when you are infected or come in, fa- come in contact with that virus, that your immune system knows how to recognize that virus and can work early to neutralize it. And when you use a combination, so for example, what you mentioned, if you go from using Pfizer and then now you're going to maybe potentially use a booster from Moderna, the formulations are slightly different. They are using the original coronavirus and they are using the subvariant. However, the way that each manufacturer goes about their actual formulation is slightly different. And so we do notice that in some patients, having a combination of the two does prime their immune system better than if they were using the same vaccine type that they had before. That makes sense to me as well. So are there any planned human studies occurring? So there are plans for the human studies. However, the design of those studies may look differently than what we're used to seeing in the past. So yeah, a typical clinical trial with human studies, typically called phase three, it requires a enrollment period and where the study is designed to look at particular endpoints. We're entering into a new area here within science and research where we need to move faster in order to keep up with the diseases that are threatening human beings today. And so with a vaccine like this new COVID vaccine with the boosters, we have this out here now for folks to use. And as they continue using it, we also now will have data as a result of that. The human studies that they want to do going forward are still planned, but the way that they're going to go about getting that data is going to look slightly different than that traditional model. Whereas before you would have patients who are enrolled, it hasn't really been studied anywhere else. And now going forward, we're going to have these trials, but we're also going to have data from real world evidence, which is very unusual. We've never had that before. We typically have these studies first and then they get approved and then they come out. And we actually have an EUA approval now. So patients can start using it now, but at the same time, we can also have trials for humans going forward. So Azra, who's eligible for the booster right now? So for the Pfizer booster, it's 12 years and older, and for Moderna, 18 years and older. Azra, I find it interesting in the sense that a lot of the most recent studies, particularly the study out of Israel, shows that there's significantly more efficacy among those patients at higher risk, people over the age of 65 and obviously older and people with multiple risk or for severe disease. Why such a broad eligibility for this particular vaccine? 
That's a great question. And you're right. For patients who are 65 and older, the efficacy is greater. But one of the benefits that we have here with the pandemic is when we look back at when we limited boosters and a first time around for only particular age groups, we were able to see now, were there any benefits for the general population by doing that? Were there really any benefits for limiting that supply? And were there patients that were under 65 who could have benefited from that? And the short answer is yes, there are patients under 65 who would still benefit from it. And limiting the age range, if you have the data to support adults getting the boosters, was there any logic to limiting it? In the past, we may have limited who got the vaccine or the age groups also because of supply and supply is not a concern anymore. So if we know that there is a benefit to patients and we're not concerned about supply, then why not open it up for more patients to have that eligibility? Why the age difference between Pfizer and Moderna? So Pfizer, it's 12 and above and Moderna is 18. I'm not really clear why. It actually just goes back to the data that each company submitted to the FDA as it for consideration. And so Pfizer had more data as it related to that. And that was part of their filing. When they went to the FDA, they requested for 12 and older. And the FDA felt that they had sufficient information to support that. All right, Azra, a great point. And to our listeners, if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send me your comments, please contact me at our email at modernpracticepodcast.com. And we posted a link in our research section. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tom Villanueva. Thank you so much for listening.